Welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. We're a church in Belton, South Carolina, who's committed to love God, love people, and build the kingdom. We're currently in a teaching series through the book of Acts titled To the Ends of the Earth, where we study the early church and principles that we can apply even today to our local churches. We pray that you will enjoy this podcast and that it would be beneficial and just leading uh, to, to new teachings in your heart. If you would, please like, share, and subscribe this teaching to make it more readily available to those that you love. We love you, and God bless. Happened for us right there, so... Uh, just want to... I don't think I'm on. I'm on. I got the, the, the booth is, is yelling at me. All right, am I on now? I think you guys can hear me, right? Uh, so, I was, I was... I like that. I was like, it was a little different, right? A little, but I like the upbeat right there. And they did have fun with it. And I will say, Buddy was flexing his muscles right there, y'all. <laughs> now, I'm not saying Buddy was flexing, but Buddy was flexing a little bit for us. Keith got to have his, his, uh, his one a couple weeks ago where he got to hit that last, that last belly. Yes, you. Well, I, I don't even remember what the song was, but Keith got to throw it. And Buddy was like, it's my turn. Uh, to return the favor this time. So Buddy buddy came through right there. Uh, we are going to continue uh, our study of the book of Acts. We're back. Uh, last week we took a field trip. Because remember I'm telling you all, we're all young, right? And you're not far removed from field trips. So I just want to give you a flashback and a reminder of, of field trips and what those felt like. Uh, so we took a little field trip. This week we return back uh, to the book of uh, Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, because I know you guys are waiting on that, right? Uh, Acts chapter 6, before I can get you there today, I'm waiting on, on y'all to look at me and say, oh my gosh, I just started flipping to, to I just started flipping to Acts. Well, don't go uh, far. Uh, I need you to run in the front of your Bible real quick uh, to the book of Deuteronomy, to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and we're going to be uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm going to give you a second because this one's a little tricky to find. Go to the front uh, portion of your Bible. If you've got if you got to confer with the table of contents, ain't nothing wrong with it, okay? We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to read for us. Once you have it, if you will, stand with us. Uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read for us verses 9 through 13. Uh, so once you have Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Leaders are appointed. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord, your God, has multiplied you, and behold... You are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful this morning, Lord, to be gathered 
uh, in your word, God, to be gathered in your in your home, Lord. That you would invite us into this place, God, to just be members of your family, God. And I just pray that this morning that you will allow your word to touch our hearts, enrich in our lives, Lord, and point us in the direction of your way. Pray these things in your heavenly glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, so now that I've took us, it's just field trip week again. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I took us on a small detour uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, and I'm going to bring us now back to the book of Acts, chapter 6. We see, yeah, the thing is wrong. Remember, I took us on a detour last week, guys. So what you're seeing on the screen is not the right, not the right one. Uh, we're going to be in Acts, chapter 6. We're going to look at all 15 verses. I'm going to cover them all. I know what you're thinking. And yes, I promise we're really going to do it. Uh, so we're going to be in Acts, chapter 6. What we've seen as we come into this scripture is that someone like Moses, who is known for his strength and his leadership with the people of Israel, right, that he got to a point where, where Moses had to say, man, I can't do this on my own. We're going to elect leaders. So the footwork and the groundwork of what we know in today's church as deacons starts all the way back in Deuteronomy, right, when Moses actually elects these first heads or leaders of each tribe. And that will continue uh, in, in that same kind of form and fashion until we get to the New Testament book, the book of Acts. Again, more groundwork will be implemented. The actual title and role of deacon is not appointed until Paul, actually uh, conferring with a young young guy that was apprenticing under him named Timothy, uh, in the book of First Timothy, Paul actually lays out the foundations, the guidelines, the rules, the regulations, what it means to be a deacon. Uh, and in the Greek, this word is diakonos, or diakonis, and it literally just means, you got this, ready for this, guys? To serve. What's the role of a deacon? I almost thought that you, you guys got it for a second. Let's try that again. What's the role of a deacon? All right, about seven people got it. I'm cool with it. We can move with those numbers. Uh, and so the role of deacon is firmly established when we get to the, the, the New Testament book, the epistle of 1 Timothy. But here again, we see more major groundwork, more major principles applied and laid out for what will be the role of a deacon. Uh, and I'm going to read for you really quick the first two verses of Acts chapter 6. Uh, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, remember back in, in, in chapter 5, we saw the biggest surge that they've had so far. How do we know it was the biggest surge that they've had so far? Because the scripture says it was the biggest surge that they've had so far. And they don't specify a number, which means that this thing grew literally, ready for this, innumerably. In other words, they were. it was hard to keep track. So we're starting to see that the twelve which was, again, the principle laid out back by Moses. These 12 have taken the, the title uh, laid out by Jesus of the term apostle, right? And what does it mean to be an apostle? To teach, right? So deacon, y'all got, let's try this, y'all. All right, everybody, do some, do some like maneuverability here. All right, deacon, what does this mean? Sure. To serve, all right? Apostle, what does this mean? Yes. All right, we're starting to understand the biblical concept of roles within the church, which in itself, ecclesia, ecclesia, 
is the, the Greek word, this is the biblical princess of the gathering or the church. What is the church? Where we come and we learn about Christ. Uh, and here we have what we see is in a growing and increasing number. And we see a complaint by the Hellenist. All right, this is really cool, y'all. There are some scholars, there's different scholar interpretations. Everybody understand, the one thing about humans is we can't agree on much of anything. Y'all got that? We're real good at that part, disagreeing. And there is disagreement over whether or not Greek or Gentiles came to faith before Philip the Evangelist. I think there is... Uh, there is evidence to support yes. How do I think there's evidence to support yes? Because watch this. A complaint by the Hellenist or, you got this, the Greek speaking, the Greek cultural believers. And there arose a conflict between the Hebrews or the Aramaic or literally the Hebrew or the Israelite believers. Alright, so what are we seeing? Cultural division. Y'all know anything about that in today's world? Mm? No? I'm glad to know that we live in a, in a land that is just so unified and loving. That's right. We don't. Why? Because, all right, follow my words here for a second. Mankind is the single biggest cause of division amongst mankind. Amen. The number one cause of division and strife among people is people. Why? Because God made us, back in Genesis, in perfect unity to live with Him. And He was kind and gracious enough to allow us to head over things. Squirrels. They serve us, just so y'all know. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Of all the animals, why squirrels? Because they are a rabid little bunch. And they do what they please. But again, it follows the fall of man. God made us to live in perfect unity with Him, right? The things that we were over saw what we did with this beautiful uh, power and authority that we had, and what did we do with it? Whatever we felt like. Now notice that nature and everything in the world followed that same trend, right? So here we have Greek or Gentile, if you will, believers, getting in beef with Jewish believers. Why? Because their widows felt they had been neglected in the daily distribution. Remember back in chapter 4, remember that word koinonia, which was just literally fellowship. A type of fellowship that made people so generous that they gave. Not because they had to, but because they were generous enough to give. Right? And they've been giving enough, obviously, that we see a distribution of wealth that allows the widows to be fed. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, guys. We were called to love on those who couldn't take care of themselves. Uh, when we looked at Acts chapter 3, we looked at the idea of the gleanings, right? That we weren't to harvest to the edges of our field. We were allowed to allow for the sojourners or those people who were travelers or those who couldn't support themselves like the widows. You guys familiar with the story of Ruth and Boaz? Do you know what he allowed her to do? The gleanings, right? This concept follows all of Scripture. So here we see people 
who were generous enough to give, right? And their gift was then distributed amongst the people to take care of those who couldn't do for themselves. And you see this right here? Anybody know what this is? Just seeing if y'all are like talking today or if you're just... What is this? About 13 people understood that this was a Bible. I'm cool with it. We're heading in the right direction. This is a Bible. Not only is this a Bible, this is uh, a Bible that I have rebound. In other words, I took the not fancy cover and put a fancy cover on it. A lot of my hard work and craftsmanship went into putting this cover onto this Bible. Uh, it goes beyond that. This is made out of calf skin. Everybody see this? At one point in time, this was a cow. Just let you hold on to that, okay? And that cow gave his life, or her life, so that we could eat the meat, so that his or her hide or her skin could be used for leather works, right? And, and it keeps going. A translating committee, this one, I think this particular one is the New Living Translation. A translating committee came together without fear of persecution, without peer, with fear of uh, persecution and rejection, came together, translated the Word of God, puts it together in a Bible. There's a lot of hard work behind this Bible. Would you agree? Uh, to, to show up in the form that you see it in right here with us right now, there was hard work behind it. Here's the beauty. Do we deserve any of the hard work that went into this to put this before us? We absolutely do not. It was gift. It was gift after gift after gift that presented this thing to us in the form that you see right here. And so we have Hellenists and we have uh, Hebrew widows who are angry over them deciding, hey, I don't feel like we've been given the proper treatment that they've been given. Again, does that happen in our world today? People feel like they didn't get a fair shot. Oh, no, you guys are lying. All of a sudden, you, you wanted to participate on that one. All right? And 12 were summoned... The twelve were summoned, the full number of the disciples. Remember, we don't have eleven anymore. We got Pathias, we got twelve again. I told y'all he comes up again in scripture later. Well, here we are. There's Matthias, not even mentioned by name. And they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Or your translation may say housekeeping. Right? So, in other words, the disciples all of a sudden have the realization, man, I think what we do might be a little bigger than, than, than what we got before us. We, we may have reached a point where we can't take care of everything, right? And so, uh, can I, anybody like to volunteer for things? There, okay, Bill, I got one volunteer. Come here, Bill. <laughs> Woo, look at this volunteering, guys. All right, do y'all want to see what happened? I'm, I'm going to show an illustration of what happened. Bill, I'm giving this to you. Thank you very much. All right, you can go be, you can be, be seated. All right, but wait a second. Hey, Bill? Yes. Yeah, I want you to take that and go give it to someone else. That's yours now. That is your Bible. All right? Now that you didn't raise your hand to volunteer, Francis is looking a little angry. I'm not going to lie to y'all. She looked a little angry that she did not just receive that. Uh, but 
Now that you didn't volunteer, do you kind of wish that you had volunteered? Okay, I'm just going to pretend that you all shook your head yes at me, that this was something valuable enough that you would want. But what we see is that neither did either one of these guys do anything that deserved or earned the Bible. Right? Other people's hard work were put toward it, and it was given. That's exactly what's going on with the Hellenists and the Hebrew widows. Other people's giving put in a position where something, a good, and in this particular case in the scripture, literally the redistribution of wealth was put forth so that someone else may benefit from it. Do you feel a little angry that like you didn't volunteer and that you didn't just get the Bible? I mean, Keith, I think, will we'll be willing to show you. It, that's pretty, pretty nice. If I do say so myself, right? Now that you don't have it, you kind of wanted it. Why? Because we're human and that's... Diane is going to fight you on the way out. I just, I heard her whisper it to, to both the gals, right? Watch yourself on the way out, Keith. Diane is, is gunning for you. Uh, but there's nothing that, that any of us did to earn or deserve. It's just the continual pattern of giving, We tend to avoid uh, walking a mile in other people's shoes when that mile involves pain, hard work, suffering. Yeah, we don't want to walk that mile. We want the mile where you're on the way to getting the free stuff. Anybody in here like free stuff? This is a generous crowd because only like six people like free stuff. I'm worried about y'all this morning. There's something illogical to not liking free stuff. Let's try that again. Y'all ready? Ooh, shake your jitters out. Who likes free stuff? Oh, man, look. Sound booth is going wild up there. They're thinking about throwing stuff. Lynette, I don't have anything else down here to give if that is what you were. Uh, I've got a used water bottle. You're, I will share. Uh, but the beautiful part is that that's life in a nutshell. It's not fair, right? But there's these things called grace, mercy, and the one we don't like, justice. We don't like that one. Unless the justice is being served to someone who has wronged us. Even though daily we walk in wrongdoing and deserve justice to be brought upon us. But again, we don't like to walk that mile when we don't directly benefit. This is not an easy teaching, okay? It's not, this is not something that is easy to, to, to just swallow and say, I'm okay with it. Why? Because we have a natural tendency to be me, 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 me. <laughs> Amen. We do. We are, you know who the number one person in most of our lives is? This guy. Well, in, like in your case, this guy or this girl, not, not me, right? When in reality, who should be first place, first priority in all of our lives? Oh, man, look, y'all are cooperative on that one. I didn't even have to, to pull it out of you. You just knew it. We are to serve God. We continue uh, picking up really quick. Let me take you on a, y'all ready for this? I'm going to take you on a detour. You don't have to flip here. I'm gonna, if you want to write this down, uh, you can come back to this later. 
But I want you to hold on to these two passages of Scripture. We're going to look at Moses. We're going to look at Jesus. Y'all like Moses? All right. That was not excitable. Do you like Jesus? Okay. That was passable, I guess. Uh, So Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 30, and it says, As Moses descended... Okay, let me give you cultural context real quick. Moses has already came down from getting the Ten Commandments one time. And he came down, and you know what they were doing? They were celebrating a big golden cow. Why? Because we are people, and we do weird stuff. Case in point, the big golden cow. Uh, So now this is the second time around that God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments. So as Moses descended from Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, if y'all remember uh, two Wednesdays ago, Uh, With the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. Just simply being in the presence of the Lord shone in his life. Anybody in here live a life away from Christ? Nobody. Y'all just all... Just You just were birthed and you knew Jesus. Tell me how you did it, right? No. Anybody in here have a life before Jesus? Amen to the people who were willing to face that burden and realize that we lived a life before Christ. Moses is the same way. He had a life before God. Anybody know what that life consisted of? Killing somebody. He had a stutter. So in other words, he was not a very good public speaker. And God said, when he, when he appointed Moses, he said, don't worry about the rest of that stuff. I'll take care of that. You just be faithful. And there comes a time after he comes down the mountain, Ten Commandments have been given, and God has this internal conversation with Moses where he basically says, this is my paraphrase, I'm going to kill all these people because there is something wrong with them. And Moses basically bargains with God and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just wait, 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 wait. These are your people. Remember that, God. These are your people. Moses bargained for us. Just in case y'all needed a refresher in that. Moses believed enough to, in us enough to say, don't wipe it out. Don't wipe it out yet. Just give them a, a chance. Give them a chance. I know they're far from you in this moment, but there's hope. So now... This is the second time around. He's coming down. He's been talking to God and his face literally shines. The glory is called in in the Old Testament. If you're ready for this, this is a cool word. Shekinah. Y'all like that? Shekinah. Want to try that one? Shekinah. All right. What does this mean? It means literally the glory of God. Some people you'll hear them refer to Shekinah glory. What does Shekinah glory mean? The kind of glory that comes from God that's undeserved by us where he just anoints people's lives. That's what he does right here for Moses. The Shekinah glory is on Moses' life. And when Aaron and the uh, the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him. Can you blame them? This is the only guy that gets to have direct conversation with God. Now his direct conversation with God is so intimate, so personal, personal that God's glory shines through him. In the, in the book of Acts, we've been looking at this Phobos, right? This kind of 
awestruck fear, this awestruck wonder. The Shekinah glory that we see in the Old Testament is what leads to Phobos fear, Phobos excitement, Phobos wonder that we see in the New Testament. Why? Because God is still working through His people. All in between there and there is story after story of us failing, of us falling short, of us not deserving anything that resembles love and grace and mercy from God. We only deserve justice to be struck upon us. But he doesn't do that. Now let's follow real quick for Jesus. Uh, and this is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. In other words, Jesus takes his three closest disciples up with him. And they go up on this mountain and they're going to pray. This is all leading up to the events that are Passion Week. In other words, when Jesus gave his life for you and me. And this is the story of uh, the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed, your translation may say transfigured, in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes became as white as the light. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Again, the wonder, the glory, and the presence of God comes upon an undeserving people. Why? Because of the faithfulness of certain men through history who were filled with the Holy Spirit to seek God. Jesus brings before us and for us the presence of the Holy Spirit for everyone who will call on His name. Back to Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. In other words, we don't have the role officially of deacon yet, but the groundwork for what will become deacons is laid out right here in this passage of Scripture. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles, the overseers, in other words, the role that will eventually become known as pastor, what is, their, what is the responsibility there? Is to devote themselves to prayer and to the teaching or the ministry of the word. How do you get closer to God? How does anyone get closer to God? By becoming more committed to His Word. Verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Instance number one, hold on to that. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, who will later be mentioned, remember we, a couple chapters ago we met a guy named Barnabas? See, Luke is just flexing his, his knowledge muscles. He's just dropping guys into the story. And he's like, and later you'll need that name because they'll become important in the story. So he's, already, he's just already dropped Barnabas on us. Now he's dropping Stephen on us. Now, look, he takes it a step further. Uh, and behind Stephen is this, this name Philip. It's easy to lose that name right there. Philip is Philip the Evangelist. And Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon 
and Permanus and Nicholas, not St. Nicholas. Nobody? No Dad jokes just falling short this morning. All right. And wait a minute. Remember how I told y'all earlier, how do we know that Gentiles are receiving the word of God? But remember, some scholars say it doesn't happen until Philip the Evangelist. I think, uh, how do I nicely say this? You're wrong. Why do I know that? Because a proselyte, Nicholas is a proselyte of Antioch. Do you know what a proselyte is? Yes, you do, but I'm going to remind you. Right? Everybody like reminders? A proselyte is someone from another religion, another culture who converts. I think there's evidence to support that Gentiles are already being converted. Why? Because, check this out, all seven of those names, in case you were wondering, are all Greek names. And it goes as far as to say, look, and they're not just, Greek, they're not just from Greek-speaking places. Uh, Nicholas, the last one, he's a proselyte. In other words, he would have likely studied some pagan worship, some pagan form of belief. Uh, what is popular in this kind of area, this kind of culture, is what is called Artemis worship. Right there is the there's a likelihood that possibly uh, Nicholas was a member of Artemis worship. We don't know what he worshipped, but we do know that it was not Yahweh God, and he converts to believe in God as his Lord and Savior. Verse six, and they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Anybody ever seen a deacon be for the first time, particularly? Uh, appointed to the role of deacon. Do you know what happens? Yes, you do, but I'm going to remind you. We lay hands on them and anoint them for the ministry. A pastor, when they're ordained. Anybody ever been part of one of those ceremonies? You'll know that many other pastors come and lay their hands on that pastor and ordain them for the ministry. What you don't maybe don't know is where this comes from. So Levites were the people who took care of the temple in the Old Testament. When a Levite was to go from just being a Levite to a Levite who served directly in the temple, what anointed him or prepared him for this responsibility was the laying of hands. How many times in today's world, y'all, maybe you've been guilty, maybe you haven't went as far as to say this, but it's almost as if we think the Old Testament has lost its significance. There's a whole generation of people out there, y'all, Remember last week I told y'all Andy Stanley, don't make me. Yeah, he don't think the Old Testament is so important. Charles Stanley's son. I'll point any fingers here. But we see it's not about where you came from. It's about what thing of the world can sweep you away and pull you away from the full centeredness of the gospel. So they lay their hands because this is a tradition that dates back to the Old Testament, to the cleansing of the temple. We see it continue. If you've never been able to have a conversation with one, there are, uh, there are people, they're, they're referred to as Messianic Jews. They still practice the, 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 all the ceremonial laws, uh, all the Jewish traditions, all the Jewish uh, customs. But they believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Go have some conversations with them. You want to learn how to enrich in your prayer life? They can guide you there. They can lead you there. And they're around us, whether you knew that or not. They would be what we would call proselytes. 
Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. We saw again back in chapter 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira struck dead. And what happens? The biggest growth in all of the church. Why? Phobos. What is Phobos? The New Testament form of Shekinah glory. See how the New Testament and the Old Testament are interweaved. See how deep that goes back. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Look at this, y'all. A great many of the priests, the Jewish priests, some of these likely would have been on what we know as the Sanhedrin, would have potentially been these guys we know as Pharisees, not likely to be Sadducees. Why? Because remember the resurrection, pretty important to us. Sadducees say, no, 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 it couldn't have happened. Yeah, so we, they're, they're likely not Sadducees, but Pharisees are likely converting to Christianity. Why? Because there is a unification and a oneness of the church. And we wonder why non-believers do not want any part of what we have going on because we have lost this unification and the oneness of the universal church. We find any new division and divisiveness to separate into a new denomination, a new sect, a new this, a new that. Hey, can I remind you all of something? America, the beautiful, was started, founded as a Christian nation. What was the number one division of mankind? Mankind. Okay, We were brought together and unified as one nation under God. That sound familiar to anybody? But we don't think, oh, there's, there's not division. Immediately after we escape these political divisiveness that was our ruler in Great Britain, what did we immediately do? Let's separate ourselves into political parties. Anybody see where there's a problem there? All right, we just separated ourselves because of these kind of issues. What is our first order of business? Let's adopt those issues. Well, they hid it under monarchy. We, you know, we don't have a monarchy here, right? Okay. <laughs> and a great many of the priests are converted. Uh, I'm, verse 8. And Stephen, all right, remember I told you all, verse 5, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. How do we know revival is real? First thing, repentance. Number two, signs and wonders. They may not always look like a guy who couldn't hear hearing, uh, a person who couldn't walk walking. They may look like, I got to be fortunate because I got a good wife, awesome wife. Men, if you don't have an awesome wife... Get you an awesome wife. Men, if you are married and are not saying that you have an awesome wife, learn from a young guy real quick. I have an awesome wife uh, who took me to be a member of, uh, of a celebration, a revival that was Asbury. And how do I know? I don't know of any signs and wonders in the sense of people who couldn't walk walking. But let me tell you. We live in a world that is me, 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 me,
there were signs at the front of this line that children ages, what was it, like 12 or 16? 16, I think. 16 and under go straight to the front of the line. Those who may not be in a place where they go home and be in a position to see the work of God are put into first priority, sent to the front of the line so that they can go and experience a move of God. That's signs and wonders, y'all. That a selfish people can drop the pride long enough to say, man, we got to get these kids in here. And... If you uh, have tracked with me for any amount of time, honestly, I was a family pastor for a long time, so that kids have always been important to me. But when I came back from that, I realized, if I took nothing else from it, that the heart of the church, and this church sits on that front row right there, it's those little kids. This thing doesn't make it any further if they... Don't get on fire for him. Remember I told y'all, we are, our back is against the wall. We are about to be a post-Christian nation. And we have to do everything within our powers to get them in here and get them plugged in. I thought it was hard for me to be a teenager. Some of the things that I'm hearing teenagers battle and, and fight with in today's world... We gotta get them in here, make them realize they're loved, they're accepted, and not make them feel like this is a place of divisiveness just like the world in which they live. I don't think it's any secret. There is a word that I've used a million times, maybe not a million, maybe exaggeration, but the word is family. Since I honestly I think since I went through with the search committee, one of my that was one of my things I told them is that the church has to become a family. And we're not perfect, y'all. We got some, some weird uncles and cousins, which every good family does. But this thing's getting better and better. The family nature, the family aspect, the love and the care has took off here, y'all. Why? Because we are unified for the mission of Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. And Stephen is full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia. Hey, these are freed slaves who, you know, they would have thought since they've been under oppression, let's just be as loving to others as we can. No. Is not what happened, right? Uh, so the, the, the ones that belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen rose up and disputed with Stephen. Hey, guys, that's the story of America. Those that lived under oppression came to the forefront and said, let us be oppressors. I told y'all this ain't an easy teaching. Y'all ain't gonna like this one. Verse 10 but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. In other words, y'all, it was a lot more than Stephen talking. The spirit of God was working through Stephen. Verse 11. 
And then they secretly instigated men and had them say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. All right, guys. Remember I took you all to this little side stories of Moses and Jesus and what happens, their face shine when they meet the glory of God. Now, Stephen's a blasphemer. He said bad things about God and about Moses. That's, that's, their, that's their tactic here, guys. Does that sound familiar? It should because that's what they did to Jesus. And they steered up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Does that sound familiar? It should because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. All he does is bashes God. All he does is says how untrue the Torah is. That's what they brought against him. Does that sound familiar? It should because it's what they did to Jesus. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, which Jesus did say, this place will fall. But don't worry because on the third day I'm going to build it up. So they took that, this out of context speech, speaking that Jesus did, and turn this into, Stephen said, Jesus is going to destroy everything. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that's how they killed Jesus. And he will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. What was the number one characteristic we saw when, when Moses meets the glory of God? What happens to him? His face shone with the glory of God, Shekinah glory fills him. They lied about Stephen. They lied against Stephen. They said that he was against Moses. Hey, follow verse 15 for a second, guys. You want to see some blasphemers get put in their place? Well, here it is. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. We came here to lie and say that he was against Moses, and yet his face shines with Shekinah glory just like Moses. And remember, guys, Peter, James, and John were first row witnesses to Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did they see? That his face shone with glory. And now here is Stephen, a man full of the Spirit, full of wisdom and knowledge. They could not refute this man and what happens to him. He has been in the presence of God. How do we know? Because his face shines like that of an angel. If a true man of God stood before you in this nation, this country, this place, and proclaimed the word of God, would you accept him or would you call him a blasphemer? So I've had some kind of vague challenges for you guys recently. You can come on up, guys. Today, this day, today, let me tell you something. The message of God spreads when we are not afraid to be consumed by the mission of God. 
The first definition or explanation, description we have of Jesus is logos, which is word. It is no secret, and it should come as no surprise, the way that we can get closer to the word of God is through the word of God. Amen. So this week, I'm going to challenge you to three things. Normally I just give you one. This week I'm really pressing you. Commit to actually serving someone this week. Not talking about it. Not thinking how great it would be if you did. Actually do something for someone. I don't know what to do. This week when you inevitably go through a drive through which you will, let's be honest, we're in America, look at us. When you go through a drive through this week, pay for the person behind you. Don't say anything. Just do it. This week, when you're inevitably in a coffee shop, why? Because we love caffeine. Pay for someone else's coffee. Second challenge I got for you. Make a commitment this week to read one chapter. One chapter. Even if you pick a real long book, we're talking six to seven minutes. I don't care if you pick Philemon. It's got short chapters, in case y'all are wondering. Right? Go and read one chapter of Scripture every day this week. Why? Because you can't get closer to the Word of God if you're not spending time in the Word of God. Third, this one's going to be hard. If, you, if you're not doing it, this one's going to be real hard. Spend five minutes in prayer every day this week. If you say, oh, I'm already spending five minutes, spend five more. (laughs) Spend time in prayer this week. Not talking about it. Not pretending to do it. Not starting and then falling asleep doing it. Really do it. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful this week, God, that we have the ability to meet and gather together as a family, God, to pursue you, to seek you above all things, God. I just pray that we wouldn't leave this place, Lord, before we secure our relationship with him, God. That if we don't have a home church, God, that this would be a place that we call home, Lord. That if we are not actively serving in your church, in your body, that this week we make that commitment to serve you. Just pray, God, that we will continue to be called out of the wilderness, God, to be your chosen people. Pray these things in your heavenly, glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.